morning, everyone. Crappy Monday again. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's senior political correspondent, Rachel Wearmouth. Morning, Rachel. Morning. Now, this is the People's Paper Review, so get into the comments. Ask us your questions about what's going on in the world. Uh, the best ones do get the News Agenda mug uh, for the best ones. And you can also catch up on this later on on podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify. So what have we got today? Well, the Mirror has splashed on the rather worrying news that overnight Vladimir Putin sent 30 cruise missiles into a military base just six miles from the Polish border where hundreds of Western military volunteers had gathered and perhaps you might think had brought with them some Western military kit. Now, pages two and three say that means we're one step nearer an all out war between Russia and NATO. Alongside claims there from Russian opposition politicians that he's definitely crazy enough to use chemical weapons. And at the bottom, the deliberate targeting and this time murder of a US journalist, Brent Renault. Now, if that wasn't enough to get your Monday off to a pretty bad start, wait till you get to pages four and five, where it's revealed that Putin has committed yet another war crime, this time the use of phosphorus weapons. So, Rachel, can you take us through this? What's so bad about these? So um, white phosphorus is, is, is a um, material which basically um, can burn into the bone and smolder inside the body. So and, and sometimes um, when a, a patient is recovering from from being attacked with this material, um, they will um, the bandage can come off. And when the, when the substance is exposed to air again, it starts to, to burn again. Um, they're banned under the Geneva Convention for, for this reason, because they're because they're just so horrific. Um, but it's it's legitimate for forces to possess them but not use them basically um, and Ukraine's human rights monitor has said that the that Russia has has used these yes now uh, they were developed I think in for the first world war uh and because it was cheaper and easier way of of killing huge amounts of people than than making a bullet each time um they're particularly grim and they've been they definitely appear to have been used uh, I don't understand how on earth it can be legal to possess them but yet not use them um and there are there are people in the you know on the uh, west coast of scotland and the east coast of northern ireland who have some experience of these because they tend to wash up we dumped a load in the irish sea after the first world war and after bad weather they tend to wash out again and they end up on beaches and dogs pick them up and people touch them and then you get phosphorus burns but obviously it's not quite as bad as if they're actually flung at you with some explosives which makes it blast all over the place and picks you up. Now, this obviously is just a huge, it's just another, it's just something else to add, isn't it, to Putin's long list of war crimes and things that everyone hopes one day he will have to answer for in the International Criminal Court. Um, it adds to the targeting of journalists, Sky journalists uh, a week ago. It adds to the shooting of children and the deliberate shelling of hospitals. Um, and it's all incredibly you do start to wonder how much worse it can get. And there, there's discussions there from Russian opposition politicians, Rachel, that he is easily and very likely, in fact, in their view, to use chemical weapons of the sort that we saw in Syria. Yeah, so so we had um, so, so a guy called Leonid Volkov. He was ex-chief of staff to... Um, in, um, big opponent of the Kremlin, Alexei Navalnov. He gave an interview yesterday that kind of offered people a bit of an insight into Vladimir Putin's 
mind. And he said um, that he certainly believed that Putin was crazy enough now to use chemical weapons, to use nuclear weapons even. Um, and his words yesterday were, it's now very clear the enormous cost that has to be paid to stop this war. Um, and I, I just think that gives us a little bit of somebody who has a little bit more insider knowledge of just what this guy is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. um, he says, I, I think that Putin can use anything right now, especially because he's in a very difficult situation. Exactly. Now, Sally says, good morning, Sally. He says, what gives Putin the right to do what he wants and nobody or nothing stops him? Uh, nothing. He has the right to do none of this stuff, Sally, but he's doing it anyway because stopping him is so difficult when you have nuclear weapons, um, which we know we would really do anything than use anything else at all. And we also worry that he would quite happily use them, especially if prevailing winds are in the right direction and he thinks the fallout's coming over us and not him. <sighs> and he does seem to have left the reservation a bit, as uh, Alexei Navalny's mate there was saying. Uh, Prince, good morning, Prince. Not the Prince, a different Prince. Uh, he says that he's begging for help from China, but on the same vein, the US is sending arms to Ukraine and British ambulances. How is that ironic that it's okay for others to help Ukraine, but not Russia to get help from others? Prince, the point about in our cell, we were explaining how uh, Russia is begging for help from China. Apparently, uh, the US intelligence, this is the part of the US strategy of, of declassifying their intelligence straight away and telling everybody about it in order to sort of flush out the Russian game plan, if you like. And what they've been briefing overnight is that Russia has asked China for some help, for some kit and some economic help as well, because sanctions are really starting to bite. Now, it's not a problem in the sense of that, you know, yes, Ukraine is helping the West for asking the West for help and Russia's asking the East for help, except Ukraine and Russia. Sorry, the other way around. It's the, if you're doing it. It's Ukraine is this one and Russia's this big one. Um, they're very different sized countries. OK, Ukraine doesn't have a massive military, so it's quite reasonable to be asking for help. It hasn't been the aggressor in the war uh, and it's also not being hit by economic sanctions, but it does need some financial aid and, and so on and so forth. Russia is a massive country with the world's biggest army and are three weeks into a war, Prince, it's going really badly. So badly, he's left begging a superpower for help, which is really not the kind of thing Mr Putin has ever done before or is ever going to want to do. So it's not a case of whether it's OK to ask for help. It's a fact that the, the massive, uh, how can I put it, the the the, the the very bad misbalance, is that a word, between Russia's might and Ukraine's much less might means that Russia is still having to ask for help. That's what's peculiar. Now, Mike says, good morning, Mike. The problem with nuclear weapons is no sane person would push the button, but the insane ones just might. Uh, probably probably more likely to if you're insane, Rachel. Um, in Westminster, in politics, are they... I mean, there's lots of talk and there's not necessarily a lot of experts in Westminster about these things. But what is there any planning or preparation for what happens if, if Putin does do the worst? Well, um, I think the key question is, and then we've kind of covered it on our front page today, is is, is when Vladimir Putin reaches NATO territory, if, if that's a line that he's going to go down. So we saw um, overnight and, and yesterday um, the Yavariv, uh, military base which is um, just a few miles from Poland's border and Poland is a, a member of NATO, a member of the EU um, and uh, and Sajid Javid gave an interview this morning saying you know 
we've said from the start our the dynamic changes for us as soon as a, as one boot reaches inside NATO territory um and asked again why why it's why that hasn't changed already given just the proximity of of everything that's happening in Ukraine he kind of said that um NATO is a defensive alliance not an offensive alliance um but they'll they'll all be compelled to respond in some way if if Putin does reach NATO's borders um so Sorry, what was the question again? No, I'm just, I'm just wondering what on earth, you know, how they're going to, what they, if he is going to move closer to, I mean, it's quite clear that this attack on the US base, hmm. uh, not the US base, sorry, the, the base in, in yeah. Ukraine, it's close to the Polish border. The US did have soldiers there before the invasion. They pulled them back when Russia invaded. Hmm. Uh, but the Western military volunteers that have been flooding in have gone to that base because it's in western ukraine it's one of the first places you get to and i would assume therefore it's probably one of the one of the staging posts or there are places like that that are staging posts for the western military kit we are sending to get into ukraine mm-hmm. um and which russia has said that they consider the the kit to also be a, a legitimate target yeah and anyone is helping with the provision of that kit which is presumably their excuse for bombing these volunteers at this base, not far away from the Polish border. But if he is getting, and Zelensky said overnight that there's every possibility of a missile going stray or um, even him deciding he can hit one of these supply lines inside Poland or inside Estonia or inside Finland, wherever it's coming in. And if that happens, then NATO rules say we go to war. Yeah, Article Five. So how are we how are we going to how are we going to reconcile this? Because it's looking increasingly likely we're gonna have to decide whether we actually stick to our own rules now in NATO and have that war. Um well I, I guess that would be a decision that NATO made together, you know, rather than rather than something that's planned planned in Westminster alone. Um I don't think I think the sort of approach so far has been you know thinking that Russia's essentially a nuclear power and that they don't want to do anything that escalates it beyond you know beyond anything that could be controlled basically so and obviously you see in Vladimir Putin as often as he can push it right as far as he can you know I mean you're talking like six miles from NATO's border mm-hmm. um but he, he just can't, he can't hope to beat NATO can he he doesn't have anywhere near the, the military kit all the numbers, all the fact that obviously NATO has been servicing its tanks and trucks for the past few years and his have been sitting there rusting while his general said, yes, Mr. Putin, they are definitely being serviced and full up of gas. And then as soon as he needs to use them, they all break down. But NATO is going to have to go in against him. And once NATO goes against him, A, he's got immediate and very definite defeat, and B, every good reason to use nuclear weapons. Um. I guess I guess we're back to this. We're back to the similar question of just what is in Vladimir Putin's mind. What does he want? What what is he trying to extract from the West? What 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 are his aims? And I think no nobody's really clear what those what those are. I think there is a sort of a slight glimmer of of hope today because there's fresh talks again between Ukraine mm. and Russia today, um, and I think they've been described by Ukraine perhaps for the first time as as constructive. As opposed to, you know, to there being absolutely no, no possibility of anything being sorted out. Yeah. Um, whereas they're being described now as constructive. So I think 
people are, a lot of people are looking to those talks for you know starting to build a foundation for what happens next yeah but. they have managed to actually move a couple of hundred thousand people through the humanitarian corridors once they stopped shelling them which was handy. Thank you, Vladimir. Um, now, we do have some slightly better news. Uh, on pages six and seven, there are two Brits called John Fuggles and Mark Strong, uh, who both have Ukrainian wives. I think Mark's also Russian-born. And they've raised money to buy and service and kit out two old NHS ambulances. They've packed them full of supplies and they have driven them a thousand miles to the Polish border. Now, one is destined for a neonatal hospital, other to a military hospital, patching up Ukrainian fighters. But Rachel, why is it being left up to good-hearted people like John and Mark to do this? Why? Surely the NHS has a load of old ambulances that it's that are just sitting there and it's waiting to flog off at auction or something. Why aren't we just doing this? Um, well, well, that's a good question, but um, I think that... <laughs> <laughs> we're doing a great deal of other things as well but um I, I think that we are doing just certain amounts for example um there's a there's a, a lovely story and today we're bringing um 21 ukrainian kids with cancer to the uk for treatment in nhs england um and i think that yeah i think that we could be doing an awful lot more but we're also sending um, a number of, of generators overnight because um, the, then this was a specific request of um, I think we're sending I think it's more than more than 100 like generators for electricity because Ukraine's just completely um, it, just there are power cuts everywhere basically mm. because of the, the constant shelling and um, it was a specific request of President Zelensky's that they send generators so we are responding to to some requests certainly um, and we know that we're supplying them with a number of weapons. So it's, it's sort of sort of we're doing nothing. But um, yeah, and I think that it, it, it does seem to be that there are a lot, an awful lot of individuals who are who are forking out to to help Ukraine also. Yeah. And people sending, you know, collecting in local villages and so on about uh, various things that they want to package up and send to Ukraine. They all get piled up on a lorry and they go and sit at. Uh, on the port for weeks because of Brexit customs declarations problems uh, and sometimes people send inappropriate things as well which doesn't always help but you know it does it's great that Mark and John are doing this but it's kind of a great pity that two people from I can't remember where they're from now but two people from Britain have had to come up with a really good idea that you'd have thought someone in the NHS would have gone hey lads we've got a load of ambulances we don't need let's send 50 you know, well, I, think, I think that the sort of the the appeal that I hear time and time again is that the um, send money, you know, because it's very as you as you just mentioned there, it's kind of it's hard to get a lot of things across, and um, when you get to the border, there are also a lot of problems getting things in and out of Ukraine. So um, yeah. the, the the appeal you hear time and time again is if if you want to help, send money. Exactly, and they, they also means that you're buying from people in the region which supports yeah. them economically as well. Now, Alison, good morning, says, did he just wake up one morning and decide I want to create a war? Uh, I bet he's been, I assume you're talking about Putin. I bet he's been thinking about this and planned it since he was small. So being premeditated, we have no real idea what he'll do next and, and be capable of. I was listening to a very interesting podcast last night in middle class style about Putin's origins um, and, you know, his career in the KGB, which was, described as a solid B, wasn't particularly special or exciting. But then he was caught uh, 
just but when the Iron Curtain fell and, you know, all riots outside the gates, democracy protesters and so on. And he he thought, as he had done, been raised in Soviet Russia, when something like that happens, you appeal to the centre and you go right into the central control and go, what do we do now? And you should be protected and, you know, encircled by that centre. And the centre had collapsed and there was nothing there to look after him. And that was the moment, apparently, which sort of created his psychosis mm. that you cannot rely on the on the center anymore you cannot rely on on the communist state and that's why he's created this massive one-man organization mm. gang and he, he grew up running with street gangs he went off and made his own gang and of oligarchs and that and that's why he seeks this massive control he thinks he is helping people by providing all this certainty and now we've got as a result of that all this uncertainty because we don't know what he's going to do next mm-hmm. and this the americans have got the same problem haven't they because that although they've got all this intelligence coming out of russia rachel they haven't find it really difficult to read him mm-hmm. and to know where he's going next and what he's going to get out of this and there's stuff in the paper today that's claiming he may be on an awful lot of steroids to suppress some kind of illness which is why mm-hmm. he's keeping a big distance from everybody that comes to see him because it it means he hasn't got an immune system anymore um yeah or, or or he's or he's worried that somebody from his own side might take him out and i think you know um when you've done some of the things that vladimir putin's done that's you know i would find it difficult to get I, I don't know, I'm sure, as well I'm sure assassin could overcome a table if they, <laughs> if they really needed to yeah, fair point. um but i think I, I think um i think i think sort of what there was a cabinet minister yesterday i think it was michael gove who kind of said he didn't like to refer to him as um as as insane when a lot of it is quite calculated and when when, you know you'll hear people talk um quite often about vladimir putin's playbook and um and just in answer to the 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 question there from the reader um did he wake up one morning and just decide to do it i think it's something that he's been planning for an awful long time because you know it's often referred to as like russian meddling or disinformation you know there's been that's been the sort of you know not the moderate front of the world but that's been like that's been part of this conflict that's been going for a long time, you know, a d- desire to confuse other states, um, a desire to, yeah. to muddy the waters. Fermenting um, all those separatist sort of sentiments in the border areas in Georgia, yeah. in Ukraine, in Crimea, yeah. to make there be some kind of a insurgency or some kind of a reason for him to say, I need to go in and protect our people kind of thing. Yeah, create, create division, these false flag attacks, you know, blaming it's, people for things that just do. Yeah, that's taken a, taken a long time. It's something that he's been warming up to for a long time yeah it doesn't it doesn't happen quickly now frank good morning frank says obviously if putin goes into poland russia will be nato's target the russian people know this but the kremlin doesn't seem to it does there were some reports over the weekend frank you're right that he doesn't seem to be getting the intelligence briefings that even we're getting on the evening news so uh he's going to be surprised perhaps by some of the stuff that happens although there is some very interesting footage i saw uh, on twitter just before we came on air of um journalists in red square in moscow interviewing activists okay so there's an activist and she just opens a piece of paper with two words on it which says stop the war or something she's immediately bundled off by policemen into a van then another woman comes along and says are you doing other people's views as well is it just the activist and he says no we're doing everybody's views are you pro the war and she says yeah i want to say something pro the war 
Uh, and then she just opens her mouth and she says, well, I think really, and the police come along and bundle her into the van as well. It's the act of speaking that's the problem, not even what it is that you say. She was about mm. to say something positive about Putin. There we mm. go. Um, but so that leads us neatly on to actually the next story, which is on pages eight and nine. There's a report very much worth your time in reading, which one of the few Western journalists still operating in Moscow. Gabriel Gavin, his name is. Now, because of the rules they've just imposed about criticising the government or the war, it's written really carefully. And he's, he's very sort of talking about the Russian pro view of the war. But it's written in such a way that it's quite clear He's writing about the disinformation that's been spread internally. Um, but it's a very good description, Rachel, isn't it, of how the sanctions are actually affecting people in Russia. So what are the what are the highlights? What did you notice? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a brilliantly written piece, and I would, I would encourage anybody to read it. It kind of gives you a real picture of what's happening on the ground and how, how people in Moscow are living now and, and the, the, the impact the sanctions are having on their everyday lives. So... He says, in supermarkets, shelves have been stripped of essentials such as pasta and rice. Um, reports of mass arrests in red squares, just as this, he describes it as a sense of desperation. Um, and I just think it, it is very well worth anyone's time. Um, it's just, it talks about how products now are just way overpriced, how, how you know, you know, your ordinary average Russians rubles are just worth so so much less because yeah. there are so many companies that have pulled out of operating in 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 Moscow what's in in, in Russia altogether um so that there are you know almost no western products left now so you know you can't get a tin of coke for example yeah. um, and they had coke even during the soviet era yeah. so that's quite a big thing. Although, interestingly, there's some people chaining themselves to McDonald's yeah. and panic buying Big Macs because they can't bear the thought of living without them. It's wrong yeah. with you. Honestly, you'll be fine. Um, but there's also there's people that sort of panic buying sugar and staples and wheat and stuff like that that can see kind of what's coming. But can yeah. you just imagine if, if, the, if the price of the pound halved overnight, mm. that means everything has doubled in price effectively. Mm. So packet of biscuits isn't 50p it's a quid uh mm. you know pint isn't a few quid it's it's lots of quid everything just starts going through the roof and you, your the wages just don't match it at all which is um so even if they don't they are quite aware why and gabrielle's report there is quite clear that there's people saying i don't understand why they're abandoning us but well, they can't do this to us we need to have iphones we need to have chargers we need to have this kind of stuff. Why is the West doing this to us? And they, they may be seeing it as the act of an aggressor, but it is causing huge problems for Putin back home, which is, of course, why yeah. Biden has been leading these sanctions. Now, there are some other stories in the world today. Uh, and Rachel's got a story in the paper, everybody. Uh, it's on page 21. Uh, so well done, Rachel. We held up page 22. <laughs> 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 usually it's me because I'm on page 24 uh, now you're telling us that half of all children will have less food on the table come the spring here in the UK and that's only around the corner of course spring mm. but half half can that really be true um it's it, it, according to the new economics foundation it is yeah so so um 48 of all children um 96% of kids in families out of work, 77% of those in single parent households. And this, this refers to um, the, it's when you calculate the real living wage as your, your, your base 
base income basically um and it's sort of the, the way that they've used it to calculate just to, just what a good standing of good standard of living is now and setting that against just the incredible incredibly sort of high inflation figures that we're seeing um so they're just kind of thinking that families are so many families are now are going to have to cut back on you know just household essentials so you're talking about you know clothes for for kids you're talking about you know making cutbacks on food um just people's standards of living is going to plummet this year and it's uh, there, there are so many reports out from think tanks over this last couple of days all aimed at trying to pressure Rishi Sunak to do a little bit more to help um help just working families all families um when when we get to his spring statement later this month I think it's on the 23rd of March um and it's just everyone is just incre- increasingly worried about you know rising energy bills things everything just getting more expensive um the resolution foundation put out a report yesterday just just saying that this is going to snap back again when we get to the autumn so we could see a second spike in inflation this year he talked i think it's something, something like figures like 10% inflation when you get to autumn when and an energy bill is going to go up then again as well so Everyone's just very worried about what happens next, really. Yeah. And uh, if we're trying to get involved, that has huge impact again economically. Whether we would sanction them, and oh, it could mm. be decades. Then you start talking about the economic, global economic consequence of what's going on. Mm. Now, get into the comments. Ask us your questions. What do you think about where Putin's going to go next? Are you concerned that Britain's going to get dragged into the war? Do you think we should go into the war? Do you think we should stay out of it? And how are these? Uh, cuts and so on that uh, Rachel's been talking about the cost of living. How's that going to affect you and your family? It says there that three quarters of single parents are going to have to find savings somewhere, not spending so much on food, not spending so much on their children's clothes. Half of all children are going to have less this year than they had last year. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a big, big thing. Julie says pensioners and low-income families are going to be more on the poverty line, creating more NHS problems, health and mental health. Is it, is, isn't, it isn't just a case that someone doesn't turn the heating on as much, is it, Rachel? It means that someone's more likely to go to hospital. It means they're more likely to be an expense for the, the welfare and benefit service and systems and the health service. It mm-hmm. costs the country huge amounts more when people are poorer, which is... Like so obvious that I've railed against Tories for this for I think my entire lifetime. When everybody gets richer, everyone is better off, mm. and when everyone gets poorer, it, it's actually more expensive to be poor and to have a, a poverty and underclass in your country. So it really does help if you pay, for example, a universal basic income because actually you'd be saving money in the long run. But that's just. I do, I do wonder at this point, after we've come out of the COVID pandemic, and which which exposed so many of those like health inequalities that you've just mentioned there, um, if if there might be some, if it might be time for some big thinking, you know, in the in the months and years ahead, because of just the just how turbulent the the economy is going to to be after the COVID crisis and amidst the UK Ukraine Russia crisis, I just think that you know. I wonder if the sticking plaster is going to work this time. No, I I thought at the start of the pandemic we'd be due a 1945 style landslide vote for the the Hopi Changey Party, whichever one it is that comes out with the Hopi Changey promise, the big 
package, you know, the, um, oh, whoops, we're a bit worried for Monday morning, but the big social package that would say, um, you know, we have a national care service, we're going to have a universal basic income, some kind of drastic change that would set us up for half a century, the, what, where Britain was going to go next. I've been very disappointed to see that the government in power is just, not interested in that and there was reports over the weekend that despite this mini budget is coming up at the end of the month that you mentioned there Rachel Rishi Sunak is apparently resisting any uh, moves or pressure from his own party to do more to alleviate some of the higher prices we're going to have because it's too volatile quote unquote which actually means of course he doesn't want to give us a bit now because when the next budget comes around, there'll have been a precedent. He has to give us a bit more when things have got worse. He wants to wait for it to get as bad as possible and then give us a little bit and just do it once. And that's, oh, that's not the attitude, Rishi. Uh, now, Lee says, how do you expect the working class to survive with all these price hikes while the unemployed and the rich get everything? <sighs> I've never seen the unemployed get everything. Um, they usually get about 100 quid a week. But... Um, yeah, the rich are, do seem to be making money hand over fist. And, of course, it's worth saying, I suppose, Rachel, with your story, it's more surprising that half of all children would be unaffected by what's happening in the world and global price rises. Um, I, I don't think it's that they'll be unaffected as such, but it's it's just that they'll not be, their families will not have to be making such drastic cutbacks. But I think, you know... And on household essentials, which is what which is what the piece refers to. But I think you you might see. I think everyone's going to be making just different choices this year, regardless of your, regard unless you are just very very comfortably off. I think a lot of people will be making different choices yeah. this year. And of course, you know the prime minister's children make up a sizable proportion of the UK population. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps that explains why so many people are going to be unaffected. Who knows? Um, <laughs> there's a reason for Boris doing all that I'm sure now we do have the keep asking your questions we're going to go to some good news next but we want to wrap on some questions at the end so how do you think things are going in Russia do you think the war is coming to an end Ukraine seems to think that if they can hold out for one more week the Russian war machine which is let's face it a bit rusty is just going to fall apart and, and not going to be able to sustain the invasion for another week um are they all going to make it another week is the question i suppose um but what are you going are you worrying about price cuts are you having to economize already i can recommend anybody if you are um experiencing a few uh issues with with shopping and and the pinch and everything else and i'm not getting paid for this but i use it it's an app called olio o-l-i-o i use olio Eyes only, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and you basically just find someone in your area who is getting the stuff which your a local Tesco supermarket, you know, was yellow stickered, couldn't didn't sell, and they overproduce. So a lot of it is bread, it's fresh fruit, it's salads, things that have a very short shelf life. Mm -hmm. And they someone some goes along at the end of the evening, scoops it all off the shelves, they donate it to Olio, and someone local in your community goes, Who wants? some baguettes mm. right and you just yes please i have some of this if you've got i have a lady down locally who ends up with like 10 or 20 baguettes quite often which is too many for anybody of course they're mm. all so stale but uh i go along and get a few and now and again chop them all up into pieces put them in the freezer rinse them under the tap and then microwave them so they're soft enough to eat and yeah. that's your bread 
and it's free and it's such such a good idea it saves it all going to landfill as well doesn't it Rachel? yes it's a cuts down on waste massively it's 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 an it's, it's such it seems like such an obvious idea in in retrospect but um yeah it's so it's so useful and and it's also great if you want to just pick up like a little bit it doesn't have to be food either you, you know you cut, there's everything on there like I've just given away my um old tv cabinet yeah. to, to a young lass dude who didn't have one um yeah. it is it's a fantastic app I would yeah, yeah. I would, so, yeah. other apps are other apps are available we should say but, um, yeah you can you can give you can donate you can get stuff from other people you can share things and it just it's environmentally more friendly and you're mm -hmm. not letting all this stuff go to waste and it also saves you a bit of money i think i've saved about a grand since the pandemic started mm -hmm. and it's stopped when you get this stuff from olio and you get that's where your fresh bread is or something it means that you're not going to the supermarket and spending money on stuff you've just seen you know so it's yeah. just it's better anyway there is some even better news in the world and here it is Now, you might think that doctors who specialise in treating uh, cancer and burns are either too busy or too depressed to do anything else once they've actually managed to fix people up. But the specialists who were treating Tina Morgan, who lost part of her ear to cancer, and a six-year-old girl known only as Elizabeth, who was in a fire when she was just six months old, has terrible burns, have found a way of fixing some of the long-term impacts of those recovering from these kind of problems. So they found a way to clone cartilage cells. They take a bit of your cartilage and they clone it, and then they can use that to 3D print new ears, new noses, um, to they're actually going to be part of their bodies and they get grafted onto the patients. So they're not a prosthesis that, you know, you have to glue on or that can fall off. Um, they actually get grafted on. So you get a new part of your body and it is your own body as well that they've grown and stuck back on. Now, Rachel, this kind of thing is always mind blowing to me. The RNHS is so good that even after you're fixed as well as they can fix you, they just carry on thinking of ways to make it even better. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a wonderful story. It's um, I, I would encourage everyone to go and read it. So so medics hoping the the printing method which builds the cartilage layer by layer, and we've got a picture of of this this three D ear being grown, um, mm. will let them make body parts that can successfully be grafted onto patients. So I just think it's yeah, it's just amazing yeah. what, what we'll be able to do in future and what we're able to do now. Exactly. And Elizabeth's dad there is saying that it has a huge impact. She's still going to have treatment for pain and so on, but it has a huge impact on the, the psychological scars of mm. things like this. And the fact that you have to go through life looking different, but looking as good as you can now, because people are going to be less able, perhaps, as she grows older to spot what happened to her when she was younger. So it'd be, make it easier for her to go through life, which is just fantastic. Thank you, whoever came up with that idea and 3D printing in general, just fabulous um now have we got any more questions uh our producer backstage to wrap on or are we done for the day we'll have to see i don't think we do have any more it seems to be that uh, everything's gone a bit quiet mercifully i think perhaps what putin's been doing just rendered us all into shock silence not for the first time um oh luke says if all the rich in the uk donated 10 percent of their wealth we would we would be fine We'd all have a very good standard of living but greed always wins there's something called effective altruism Luke, look it up. Uh, and it's, it is about everybody donating just a tiny bit of what they could afford, perhaps. Uh, and yes, in sending it 
to the right place and being used in the right way would make the world so much better. And we don't all do it because we do all like to keep hold of what we've got and think we, we never quite have enough. And I think that's perhaps a fault of, you know, in the West, we are in this country, even the poorest of us are doing so much better than a lot of the world. And we could all probably afford a quid here and there. Wouldn't hurt if you want to give it to the right cause, of course. Um, thank you, Rachel, for joining us and for explaining all that stuff. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. Um, screw you, Mr. Putin, if you're watching. Uh, and we will see you all again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda, when hopefully the situation in Kiev is that they are still holding out and that the Russian war machine is struggling even more than it is today. And also China said, no, you've got to buy on eBay. That would be handy, wouldn't it? Thank you, everyone. See you again on Wednesday. Bye bye.